Hello and welcome back to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. This episode, we're taking a look at the experiential side of events. We work in an industry all about creating a great guest experience, and modern events are always innovating new ways to engage with attendees to create something unique beyond that of just traditional hospitality. I'll be hearing from three people involved in creating exciting new guest experiences. So if you're an event planner or planning an event soon, there's certainly some inspiration to be found here. I'll be speaking to Unlimited Brewing, a company producing personalized beverages. So they're using beer effectively as a way to get a message across in a much more, in my opinion, effective format than putting signage up in a room. Clue Quest, an immersive escape room experience. It's, it's, just, it's, it's storytelling in its basic form. It's, it's a game and it's storytelling. And these we know that's the way to, you know, people connect with each other. And Drafts, a board game cafe. Rather than just sit and talk over, you know, a pint, you can actually, like, have a little bit of a, like, a fun experience doing it and without, you know, breaking the bank too much, I would say. But first, I'm handing over to the team for the News Digest as they ask, how can we solve food waste in the events industry? Should destinations collaborate on marketing? And events agencies, should they charge for venue finding? Sam is away this week, but the team is joined by the returning guest, Julian Sape, the director of Zapparano. So over to the team. Afternoon. Good evening. Hi, Julian. Hi. Wonderful to have you back. Thank you. We have, we have a number of food-related stories today, actually, so great timing. Charlotte, I saw you, you've been talking at your previous school. Is that right? Yeah, that and somewhere? do you know what? It was absolutely amazing. So I was um, in High Wycombe uh, earlier today, which was a very pretty place to be, um, and uh, speaking to 72 um, 13-year-olds about what they might want to do with their lives, which... God alone knows how you actually know what you want to do when you're 13 years old, but clearly my school wants you to start planning your career. Um, so I was talking to them about how I was the um, uh, not a model student and was often caught smoking behind the bike sheds and um, therefore, you know, anyone can achieve anything if I can build an agency, basically. Shock. Which they all found very entertaining. How many wanted to be events professionals? Uh, quite a lot by the end of the talk, actually, which was quite encouraging. <laughs> Good to hear. None of you were at the meeting show. No. No, sadly not. I was there. How I listened was it? to. It was good. I listened to James Heapy MP, who's the chair of the APPG All Party Parliamentary Group on Events. Interesting, actually, he was talking about the 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 world post Brexit, saying that Britain will be you know absolutely fine as it will be. Talking about I had one idea for a way in which the way in which the UK could 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 keep the influx of business in talking about how destinations could collaborate and exhibit more under a single kind of UK corporate identity. Gave the example, show like IMX, Scotland has a strong presence, London has a strong presence, Manchester, you know, has a strong presence, and asked the question, should destinations compete against each other uh, or should they kind of collaborate under a under a UK banner? I saw it as an interesting, interesting question. Absolutely. I mean, I th- as a visitor to one of those expos, I suppose if you know that you have got um, clients that are really looking to go to Scotland or to or to Ireland, or you're looking for specific activities and suppliers in those countries, it's much easier to search for um, a very targeted stand that deals with Scotland or Ireland or or Wales or or indeed Greater Manchester. Um, if everybody's collaborating 
in one area, is the stand going to be big enough to do anybody actually any mm. justice? Um, are you just pulling everybody together and then there's not enough space for everybody to actually sort of really explain what they do? Um, and I'm not sure the UK's ever been that fabulous at collaborating as one entity anyway. Um, so I don't know. I think it's quite useful um, as a as a visitor to be able to target specifically one mm. region without just having one large um, exhibition stand. I agree. I think I think there's a business justification to to streamline it and make a bigger impact under one umbrella. But I think it is slightly. Uh, as a marketing message, I think it actually dilutes the potential of its component parts. I think Scotland tells a very different story to London, as you say, and I think if I was a buyer interested in buying into the, a Scottish experience, I, I'd want to have a direct route to... I'd want to engage with something that, that came from its source. Mm. We, um, well, moving on, and this is... It wasn't in the news as such, but I saw this, um, and Gillian, great that you're here. So this is... So a venue had started using, it's all about food wastage. Apparently, I read that in the UK, 7 million tonnes of food is, is thrown away every year. And I saw the venue shared that it was using an app called Olio. I think the venue is uh, Novelist <coughs> Visuals. And I thought it was interesting. I shared it and it, it got a lot of um, yeah, a lot of kind of commentary on it. Um, and I just wondered, you know, new food waste app. I know that I know there's, there's plenty around. Julian, you work, uh, obviously, Zafrano big caterer um can caterers can venues can events organizers do more with with food waste i think they can i mean it's a very big area uh i mean the stats are eye-watering i think the average family wastes 700 pounds a year 13 billion pounds of of home food waste and this is before we get into catering for stadiums and giant awards dinners and conferences so it's a it's a universal problem. Uh, there are a lot of food apps. Olio isn't the only one. Uh, I think that um, it works very well in the the sharing economy. So for a high street restaurant selling food waste to a local resident who can't afford to shop in a supermarket, that whole that paradigm is is very mm. very active. I think from our point of view, the special events sector is, is more complicated. Uh, a lot of the events we do take place in venues where there's no infrastructure. So we're setting up a field kitchen. There's no blast chilling or refrigeration. There's, there's a lot of red tape attached to recycling food after an event. So, for example, a charity generally wouldn't accept food from us because of the fact that it might have been standing out. And And the truth is, the reality is that we don't know that the food is food waste until it's too late to recycle it. There are solutions to this problem. Uh, one of our venues has invested in a blast chill and refrigeration. So as soon as we know that we're going to be wasting food, we can blast chill it, bring it down to temperature, package it accordingly, and then it can be stored at this respective venue, and then it can be collected by volunteer transport organisations who are working on behalf of charities. So it can work, but I think we've found in terms of what we do, getting out of venues at speed, there's no infrastructure, it's complex. You have to get out quickly, don't you, out of, out of venues after most events? Is that something you've come across, Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, primarily we have a lot of, um, we do a lot of risk assessment, as you might imagine. We have done boutique corporate festivals in the past and um, a lot of the risk assessment is about um, uh, food-related contaminations and 
um, the potential for food poisoning and what happens in that scenario um, from a medical perspective. And so a lot of our risk assessments and health and safety documentation is actually focused around food related issues. Um, so would we be comfortable or would we would we be comfortable by, to, to suggest to a client that they would actually then move that food on in some way to a charity or to somewhere else? I think a lot of our clients would be concerned about the repercussions if the food wasn't deemed to be um, of good quality um, because, you know, you then enter into a whole different realm well, what about on the other side, though? Do clients ever... I, mean, I guess this question applies to both of you. Is it ever something that clients bring up before an event, asking... What, what... Uh, on a very small scale, as an example, um, as an agency, we get an enormous amount of food delivered to our office um, in terms of people, I suppose... Gifting. Uh, gifting. I'm going to invert in commas. I don't want to use the word bri- bribing. Um, Never. Uh, Never is. Uh, yeah. Um, and at Christmas, it's especially bad. So, thing, um, yeah. you know, so I, I found the local shelter basically around the corner from the office and I've t- I, I didn't expect them actually to accept any So that's it. where our mince pies went. <laughs> Charlotte. <laughs> so I had to give them away um, to the shelter, but they literally bit my arm off as I got halfway through the door, um, which is great. So at least we know that that you know some of it's going to to a good cause but um but it's not as julian you say you know there are complexities there are complexities it's 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 it, the the whole chain uh the whole process is being refined so it is getting better so for example i think one food app that we're working with i think it's called plan z heroes and the 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 provider of the food waste now waives the liability so the receiver of the food carries the liability for 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 any problems. I mean, I think that there's some guidelines about no reheated food, um, mm. that they won't take vacuum packed food, all that sort of thing. But but they they're prepared to take on the liability in the name of eating something that might be slightly past its sell by sell by date. And as we know, sell by dates are sort of over cautious anyway. Uh, I think one one interesting thing is I was reading up about um, food waste apps, which are which are I mean there are many of them. They're they're global. In there's a food waste app in Africa, which helps um, truckers. It gives truckers transporting food to town centres the best traffic route because a lot of food goes off because of no oh, wow. proper refrigeration or storage. So I thought it was quite interesting to have the same problem as us. Yeah, they, ain't, they ain't got no refrigeration. Uh, and, and that is one of the problems with food waste. So too. almost like the, the ways for the trucker world. Yeah. <laughs> There's quite a lot of stuff. I saw the, the smart bins, aren't there, which are used by businesses, caterers, mm. restaurants in London, which t- t- uh, everywhere, London, UK, everywhere, tell you exactly how much waste you, you've, you've, how much waste you have every every day, and then it allows you to kind of plan better in the future. Have you seen seen those? Come across those? I haven't seen those, no. I haven't either. Yeah. Although what I can tell you is in Wiltshire, um, my bins get collected about once every three weeks, so they're pretty much walking out of my house by the time <laughs> on their own. Well, so... <laughs> Plenty of kind of logistical issues, but it seems to me a good thing. To, you know, I, I thought it was a, a you know, kind of refreshing thing to see mm. people talking about. Really, kind of seem to be seem to be mm. seem to be getting behind. I did talk to them briefly, and they seem to yeah, they seem to be thinking kind of commercially and had an answer to a lot of the the, the questions that you uh, yeah, that, well, that, you, that you guys have raised. You know, they send people around and they pick stuff up straight away, and a lot goes to charities, which go to food banks and you know homeless homeless shelters, homeless charities, and the rest go on the website they seem to be really thinking about it so i guess good thing to be talking there's, about there's a lot of activity for sure moving on and this is this is charlotte this is uh one that you put forward obviously 
very relevant to you. So this was, about, I think this was in conference news. And it was about whether agents should be charging clients for venue finding services. There's been quite a lot of chat recently you know, about commission and you know, fee structure and you kind of pick, pick this one out and yeah, right on the, the front of conferences. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting debate in terms of whether or not the model will have to change in the future and whether the free venue finding service is going to be feasible in the in the future um, based on, um, make no mistake, we're not entirely a, a venue finding agency, so it doesn't necessarily entirely apply to us. But, um, you know, if you are an agency, finding venues equals time equals money. Um, and if commissions are being cut by major hotel chains, where is that revenue and how is that time of being accounted for? So I suppose it's more about time management software um, and actually how time is being recorded um, and therefore how that money is coming back to agencies, really. So perhaps it's more about that rather than whether agents should just be charging um, fees for a service. Um, I asked the question on a panel at the Evcom conference, and it was a panel of corporates, and I got an utterly resounding, <laughs> resounding no, no um, which I was actually quite surprised by, not even a sort of wavering no, it was an absolute resounding mm. absolutely not. Um, and, you know, obviously, Ed, with the you know rise in, um, you know, fabulous platforms that produce um, a wealth of information on, on venues, maybe the venue finding service is kind of, you know, becoming a little more obsolete, I, you know. Just putting it out there um, because you can search for so much online these days. Uh, Gillian, you've been, I mean, not so much an agent, you've been in the industry a long time. Do you have any kind of any thoughts on it? I, I think it's interesting with the rise of companies like Hirespace, the, the, digital, the digital venue finders, somehow there's a sort of expectation that the whole thing is, is sort of transaction free or I think it's questioned less because it's online in the same way that I was saying before when I when I book a property on Airbnb I don't really question how the service works I don't expect to pay for it it's, it's sort of it's it's quite a clean transaction mm. I suppose the the problem with with a client facing agency is it's it's a sort of unspoken thing about how are you making money in this age of transparency? We don't quite want to know, and we shouldn't have to, and we should. It's but also kind of where does the where does the service start and, and end? Because we find that you know on the odd occasion when we get an inquiry through from an existing client who says, "I'm just looking for a venue for X, Y, and Z," we end up by actually getting very heavily bogged down in the sort of logistics of the rest of the event, of as opposed to actually just finding the venue. So all of a sudden, we are doing something essentially for free to start with. And unless we start sort of saying, okay, actually the fee is now going to be X, Y, and Z, you end up by doing a lot of work and doing a lot of time for something that's really not financially worth it. If it's just a drinks reception in London, if it's a conference for 300 people and it's accommodation, it's a different kettle of fish, obviously. Um, but yeah, it becomes, there are no boundaries, I think, in this area. And corporates have been able to do what they sort of want and ask for whatever they want for a very long time terribly sorry to say this on, on air, um, but they have and, you know, agencies in the interest of wanting to keep their clients happy have just continued to do whatever they can um, mm. and aren't, haven't been getting paid for it. Uh, well, uh, and the time hasn't been tracked effectively enough and maybe that's another issue 
Well, that's interesting because there, there are many different kinds of agency. Mm. And actually, when you, you step over a certain line and you get into the world of marketing agencies or creative service agencies who have retained clients mm. and then they are charging for their services. And, and as a supplier, we, we would normally expect to be paying a commission mm. to the agents because that's, that's their revenue stream. But actually, there's, there's a whole agency world where we don't pay commissions because it's not expected. So, for example, if we're working for a PR company, PR companies tend not to ask us for commission. Mm. So it, it's um, there are a lot of there are a lot of layers, and yeah. um, so each many, agency carries its own culture. I think. Mm. Yeah. So many layers. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. I think, Charlotte, what you say about kind of no clear boundaries is exactly right. And as a result, it's really hard to be very definitive on this. Mm. But it's a topic that one could talk about for quite a while. I think. And people um, seem to be. That's the yeah. thing. You know, you keep seeing seeing people people mention this and commission and kind of structure generally and it's obviously an evolving but, conversation but I, but I also think it's about the relationship that you have with the particular client and actually having that kind of a conversation as well you know um and saying we can't continue to to do this because actually we're not getting paid for our time and having that kind of open and honest conversation and that's about communication that's not about just you know we need to get paid on that note i think we're there thank, thank you thank you very much thank you as ever Charlotte. thank you again julian Pleasure. Coming a regular. Hope to have you back again soon. Thanks, guys. Up next is the first of our features on these exciting new experiences we're hoping will inspire some of your event planning. I'm talking to Neil Sunny from Unlimited Brewing, a company specialising in creating personalised beverages. Hi, Neil. Thanks so much for, for joining us on the Event Lab podcast. Thanks for, thanks for calling in all the way from, from New York. How is it over there? Yeah, it's nice. It's, it's warm. It's hot. Um, and yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. I... Uh, came across you guys and, and love the work that you're doing and I'm glad we were able to to find a time that, that could work for both of us to speak. Yeah, so I mean yeah, we were sort of really interested in the kind of personalization and experiential stuff that you guys are offering with uh, unlimited brewing. So I kinda of wanted to chat about that today. So I mean maybe you could uh, yeah tell the audience a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, so kind of at the highest level, what we are is a platform for anyone to go create their own beer brand. And we we define brand in a very loose way. So brand could mean um, a branding, so purely a packaging uh, customization for a single event. So it could just be for you know one, one day or one evening, and then that brand never exists again. Or it could be as involved as you know, a hotel, a restaurant, or even an individual wants to create a beer that they're able to sell um, and actually, you know, start a business around and, and we can help with that as well. So our projects could be pure packaging and label customization all the way up to uh, recipe development and creating a beer that is truly unique and, you know, potentially even leverages ingredients that have never been before used in beer. Um, so we kind of span the whole, you know, we do the whole spectrum. Um, I would say the the majority of our business is on the event side, as as you might imagine. Um, but there's a lot of other really interesting things that, you know, peop, our customers honestly have come up with really interesting use uses for the platform that we've developed. So it's been a, it's been a fun journey so far. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you guys are at the kind of the, the perfect intersection of kind of, I guess, two big trends at the moment. You're kind of, you know, with the the massive popularity of craft beer. Uh, I think we're always seeing kind of events news articles about you know how the the latest generation are, are shaping the beer market as well as the uh, driving force of kind of event experience so that means we had at event lab last year one of our, our our conference we had i think loads of talks just talking about kind of how to deliver a great event experience yeah you know i think for um, the interesting thing with craft beer right is the 
um, the consumer is really kind of taking charge, you know, back from the from the the large beer companies, let's say. And so, and I think this is happening in a variety of industries, not just not just beer, but it's it's been really interesting to see uh, almost a return to how beer used to be, maybe a hundred years ago or more, um, where you know, I mean, beer, especially in the UK and, and the US, was a very local thing. I guess it's that kind of artisanal uniqueness, but I think people are really starting to engage with at events. People like the story behind the product they're buying. They're engaging with the like the personality that kind of goes along with the kind of the idea of craft beer, and people can and people are really kind of liking that in events. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, you know, I think for from a event standpoint, creating a unique. Uh, beer, like so, creating a unique liquid or, or uh, recipe is very is very interesting, um, but it's it's many times not even necessary, right? It's um, a lot of times what they're looking for. You know, there's so many beers out there now where if you can find a beer that your guests would not have tasted before and would have would still be interested in trying, right? So there's so many different variations on on classic recipes like IPAs and lagers and blondales and and what have you. Um, as an event organizer, uh, there, you can almost have an easier time selecting an existing beer that your audience might be interested in, as opposed to, uh, necessarily developing a recipe yourself. And, and what you can then do, right. Is, um, you can either co-brand with the brewery so that, and sometimes there are advantages to doing that. Um, or you could actually just do a, a private label and very often the breweries are, are quite willing to, to do something like that as well. Um, and you know, sometimes, uh, that can also be mutually beneficial. So we can, uh, you know, I'm happy to dive into either of those use cases and, and share, you know, why someone might be interested in both of those. Yeah, I mean, if I want to, yeah, we really want to explore kind of what the the appeal of that kind of personalization is, I guess, for guests and, and kind of the organizers. Yeah, so I'll say, um, so we'll, we can mostly, I think, focus on the private label side. I mean, the, the experiential side you get from a custom recipe, um, it sort of speaks for itself, you know, in some ways, but it's, if you have the ability, and especially this is probably more true at a high end, very high end event, uh, to have a beer that's created specifically for that event, you know, the use cases we've seen have been more like restaurant focused, which are, uh, they want to brew with an ingredient that they might be featuring as part of that evening's meal, or, uh, you know, they might maybe an ingredient that really tells the story of the place that they're in. Uh, so that's kind of the use cases we've seen around custom recipe. However, with custom labels, there's a lot of really cool things that that people are doing with that. So, you know, I'd say the at the highest level, what people are using the labels for is as an additional form of media. So they're using, you know, beer effectively as a way to get a message across um, in a much more, in my opinion, effective format than kind of putting signage up in a room, right? So if you are sponsoring an event or if you are hosting an event and you really want to get the audience to engage around a certain message, uh, you, you have a few different options, right? You can post signage around the room. You can have someone get up and say a few words. And, and all of those things are, are have been done and are fairly effective. Now, what we're trying to make very simple for an event company or a sponsor to go do is use beer effectively as a way to get that message into the, the hands of the attendees. And we're in an era now where everybody's reading the beer labels, right? And they're looking at them closely, especially with all the really cool artwork, right? That all the, all these companies are doing. You know, we uh, strive to basically create labels which are going to catch a consumer's attention or or, a, or an attendee's attention, um, and really allow them to uh, really allow the the brand or or the event company to get that message across in an engaging way. So it's instead of handing somebody a card or a postcard or a pamphlet or something, right? This is while they're drinking. 
um, they're able to, to, to basically read the messaging, view the messaging, um, and really get that ingrained. And we're experimenting now with some calls to action uh, on those labels themselves, you know, websites that people can go to, numbers that they can send a text message to, um, or, you know, potentially even ways that they can engage on social uh, with those brands. So there's some really cool things there. And I'd also mention that if you think about how people are drinking at events, it's often in groups, right? So it'll be a, a, a circle of people talking or it'll be a one-on-one conversation. Uh, and that's another another way that we think this is very effective is that you can use these labels to interject into a conversation uh, at a strategically valuable point, right? So so somebody people can be talking about it and then therefore it's going to be more ingrained in their memory, right? Because they had a conversation with somebody about this. So if as a brand, your goal is to, to sort of increase awareness or or uh, spread the word, this is a really uh, sort of underrated way for, for you to go do that. Yeah, I mean, if I don't want you, if you were, hand, hand me a drink and I'll, I'll listen to anything. Yeah, so there's there's certainly something um, to be said for that. And then, I mean, the, the, the last thing I'll mention on that is um, from an affordability standpoint, you know, this is, this is pretty much uh, in line with what you'd pay for most most craft beers sort of off the shelf, right? So we, because, uh, and I didn't talk about this yet, but the way that we're producing these beers is via the spare capacity of a wide network of breweries. So it's brewers who, uh, you know, as a, if you're familiar with how the manufacturing industry works, they want to operate their equipment as much as possible because that reduces their costs. Um, so, so from a brewer's perspective, we come in, we bring them these these sort of one-off projects, and they get to use their equipment more, so they reduce their costs for their overall business, and so they're they're quite flexible on pricing, and so we're able to usually negotiate pricing down for our clients into a um, very affordable level, right? And and of course, sometimes there's restrictions if like they have an urgent need or very specific recipe, you know, there might be some that might be more expensive than a typical beer, but but traditionally, right, our beers tend to come in right around the two pounds per 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 bottle. Uh, level um, in the UK, and so it's it's quite affordable way to get you know get your messaging across at at different events and doesn't break your uh, break your budget. So that's uh, that's what we strive to do. Um, I think I'm, yeah, I think we're gonna have to to begin to wrap up there. But yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. It's some really really interesting stuff. Um, I guess just, just as a, a last thing, where can people um, find out more about Unlimited Brewing and kind of following you on online if they're looking to do so? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, which is uh, unlimitedbrewing.com. So that's, uh, you know, unlimited and then brewing with I-N-G at the end. Um, .com is a, is a great way to find us. Uh, we're also on Instagram, we're on Twitter, uh, and we're on, we're on Facebook as well. But, you know, the website is a great place to learn uh, a little bit more about what we do, how we do it, what the timeline looks like. Um, and if, you know, you'd like to chat, uh, anyone can send me an email directly. It's a very easy email, uh, Neil, so N-E-I-L at unlimitedbrewing.com. Um, I'm happy to, to speak with anyone directly or, um, you know, perhaps uh, have a phone call or, or whatever somebody would want to, to learn more about how how they can use Unlimited Brewing. And um, yeah, we're just very, very thankful for the opportunity to, to be on your podcast. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah. Thanks, George. Big thanks to Neil there for talking to us, taking his time out to contact us all the way from across the Atlantic personalizing elements of your event is just one of the ways you can engage guests and immerse them in your brand story. It's that immersion at an event that leads me on to the next guest I'm speaking to, who comes from ClueQuest, a company that runs escape rooms, fully immersive puzzle experiences designed to be solved by a team. 
The first escape rooms opened in Tokyo around seven years ago, and today there are around 3,000 operating globally. Hi, Alexis. Thanks so much for joining us on the Event Lab podcast. You're no, joining us Hello, from... George. Well, nice to be here. I'm here from ClueQuest. Yeah, uh, an escape room. So I was maybe, do you maybe want to explain to people at home what an escape room is? For an escape room, indeed. Well, um, essentially it is a, uh, a space or room that involves teams of, you know, generally it's three to five, three to six players. They're given a certain amount of time, certain amount of tasks, and they need to complete them all within the time to come out victorious. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's why why I kind of want to talk to you today because um, escape rooms are such a kind of a unique experience for for the people playing, and that's something that we're seeing in the events industry is there's this huge demand for unique experiences, unique ways to engage people attending your events. So I know that you guys have been kind of really interested in looking at escape rooms as a way to promote team building. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... I mean, just a bit about our venue, there's lots in London, but for us, we've, we've actually got nine, nine rooms um, and can play 54 players at one time in teams of you know, three to six. It's, a, it, it's something that's really memorable. It's really unique. It's, it's something that is owned by that singular team unit. So, um, the, I mean, the other side is there's, a lot of, there's quite a bit of competition. You, you know, you've got inter-department competition, but you can race against each other. So we have four rooms that are the same, and then three rooms that are the same, and then two rooms that are the same. So these teams can come in and play, uh, see which one comes out first, and yeah, it's really, it's really, really enjoying it. It's getting, it's really popular. Yeah, so I guess, I guess for, I guess some corporate events companies looking to do something a little bit different when they want to have a kind of team away day or a, a kind of company party. There's, it's that unique element that encourages interaction in a different way that you get from escape rooms. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think team building has always looked to foster achievement. I think that's what it's kind of trying to do. You know, you're, 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 you either have a simple competition, I mean, it, but, but you're trying to achieve things as a team. And um, this gives you that sense, but really, really clearly in a, in, a, in a way that is right for everybody as well. It's frustrating when you're not getting it, but when you really get it, it's a real oh wow, we did this, we made that happen together. And as, I mean, my office is next to, next to the game rooms and all I hear a lot of the day is whoops of delight or as, as, as people kind of get through the stages. So I think, yeah, that truly is totally, totally unique. I don't know of another <laughs> yeah. entertainment experience that, that does that. Um, you won't forget it. That's, I think, the crucial bit. For anyone who's never done an escape room yet, you won't know what it's like to stand in a room with your colleagues or friends and family and, and, and actually be, have a counter countdown on you in a locked room. It sounds quite daunting and it is a little bit, but that makes it so much more impactful when you actually start to achieve and get through the game itself. We, a bit on demand and you know, knowing that there was a bit of a need, have built an amazing conference room space right on site next to our escape games. And it means that... Um, Companies are able to use that space to do some of their sort of maybe end of year work, some presentations, some end of quarter stuff in that slightly more serious mode and then come and play the games to kind of break that. Yeah, they can, they can do their serious work and then, and then have some playtime. Or another, the other way around, which is what's happened with us as well, is to turn up, get them straight into the games playing and then come and use the conference room to do that sort of end of year meeting. But everyone is a bit, quite a lot more engaged at that meeting at the end because they've had that shared bit of fun 
Yeah, and it's sort of, like a sort of big sort of like a warm up. It's like a warm up. It's got their ways. brain spitting out. It's got them communicating, meeting with others in the team. If, again, lots. There are lots of ways to set it up as, as there are with the events, but mixing people up is is a is a good way um, of just engaging everyone from the start. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's kind of the other, the other thing I want to talk about. Like, it's a great way to get people excited and engaged and kind of receptive to new ideas, whether they're kind of chatting in like a corporate meeting, but also uh, perhaps part of like a like a bigger event. Like, I know at Event Lab last year we had mm. we had our networking sessions where yeah. we would kind of focus that networking session around like a fun activity that kind of gets people chatting and interacting, and like it's almost like a little icebreaker, and then yeah. you know people start chatting and it help it kind of helps build that network connection. It's kind of experiences like that that I think so many people are looking to implement into their events to get guests more engaged with the event itself. So like mm. like puzzles and encouraging people to interact in a completely new way that's no longer just kind of both standing there with a drink trying to think of something to say. It's, <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, yeah. suddenly it's, no, yeah, oh yeah. God, I need yeah. to solve this thing. Do you yeah. know the answer? <laughs> and you're like, it's, it, you know, it kind of, it's a completely different way of kind of socially interacting that... Yeah, immediately yeah, engaged you with the Absolutely. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. It's a, it's a sort of a, you know, a new entertainment category you have to put out to get, you know, you have to put in to get out of it and stuff. But the, it's, it's, just, it's, it's storytelling in its basic form. It's, it's a game and it's storytelling. And these, we know that's the way to, you know, people connect with each other or learn things or, or make them spark ideas is by, by stories and achievement. Yeah, I think there's like the, I mean, there's huge potential there for the kind of brands, people launching products, people wanting people to engage with their story almost. Uh, if you can incorporate kind of those puzzle elements, those interactive elements into events. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, a, it's a, you know, it's a, as a sector, it's, 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 it's still quite, you know, young. It's still quite young. Um, and I think we've had loads of brands approach us about what can we do with your escape rooms to help us either launch or, or do a campaign and stuff? And, and some of them we looked at and thought you don't quite understand what this mm. space is. Um, and others, yeah, they've been a quite, you know, they've been that quite good, syne- good synergy. But, you know, this whole immerse, the experience bits and the immersion are something that people have had in their normal lives. So there's something they want to have experience with work or, or with an event. Yeah, it's that people want. People are craving experiences. And we're, yeah. we're, you know, we're seeing the millennial generation are spending more than ever. They're spending their money on experiences rather than memories. They're, buy, they're yeah. buying memories and, and and good times because they, they, they're more valuable. They're more. I think that they're more valuable. And um, you've seen the rise of you know the secret cinemas, the loads mm, of the exactly, escape yeah. games, the crystal maze coming back. You know, people are aware that there's more to life than than. The objects. <laughs> yeah, which... I, mean, it's like, I think it's yeah, it's definitely like it's an opportunity for event organisers to incorporate those kind of interactive, more out there, more different things yeah. into their events as ways of getting guests engaged. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We actually have a uh, a standalone game. Um, it's like a la- it's a, a mini laser escape game. Um, it's it's quite straightforward, but it gives a little taster of what t- real team play is on a, on, a, on a crazy level. You have to direct a laser across a across a, a series of obstacles and that you need you know at least two of you and you'll do it a bit quicker with more of you but that that little nutshell you see people's eyes oh i get it i get it that's this was really fun the point is that you've you've, you've shared a challenge together and you've won it together um and, and obviously that's the sort of minor the, the laser game but but come into the escape room and you're you're doing that as a team of six you know you all win together 
Um, what does that do to a, a promote, you know, a, a brand who, who wants to tie that emotion to their event? Loads. Yeah, it does yes. absolutely loads. It, it, it's reminded those people playing of so many different things about being a child, about having fun, about playing, about what's important, about sharing. So if you had those are values, I think you'd really love to map onto yeah, um, tying uh, those memories to uh, yeah. to like to a great event. Then absolutely, that's massive. Absolutely, and um, you know, obviously, the, the world of marketing does lots of different tricks in terms of getting stuff. But yeah, Im- immersion and you being the center of your story, or or you and your gang being the center of your story, is powerful. So. Yeah, they should they should get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, maybe we'll see uh, see more more conferences and uh, corporate parties coming kind of incorporating escape rooms. So mm. hopefully, hopefully, the guests are eventually able to escape. Um, it, I think what's hard about this is that you can't really. It's quite hard to explain it. What you what happens mm. without doing it. If that's the kind of the dream events is that you, your guests come away and they. Had such incredible experience. All, all they can tell people is you just had to be there. That's the per- perfect, exactly that. And and to 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 be doing that is it's really it's really great. It's really special to do that. Um, and yeah, it's that's what I think events mm. try and do, isn't it? Is to is to give an element of surprise, um, give a different angle on something, and and connect connect people. But I mean, that's kind of all we all we really have time for today. Yeah, fine, cool. But so we can just wrap it up a little bit. Where can people find out more about Clue Quest? Clue Quest, www.cluequest.co.uk. And we are very simply located just in King's Cross, easy to get to, um, lots of capacity, and uh, we're open seven days a week. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alexis. Now, alongside immersive experiences like escape rooms, Cities are seeing a massive rise in activity-based venues, with trendy spots like Flight Club, Bounce and Putt Shack offering games like darts, ping pong, mini golf, to create a more experiential way of socialising in place of more traditional hospitality. Alongside these activities, board games are seeing a massive surge in popularity and dedicated board game cafes are opening up across the country. I went to Drafts, a board game cafe in Hackney, to find out whether the unique social experience of playing a board game is something that could be incorporated into events. Brilliant, so we are recording today here in Drafts, and it is quite the atmospheric venue. We are tucked away in a little uh, in a railway arch just on Dolson High Street, just, so, just uh, north of the river. Uh, but today I'm talking to Russell, Hi. Hi. Yeah, Hi. Thank, thank you so much for speaking to us a little bit about, uh, no about drafts. So maybe, um, yeah, if you could introduce the venue for us and perhaps say a little bit about what you do. Sure. So uh, Drafts is a board game cafe in East London. Um, we have a library of approximately 900 board games. Um, we also serve food and drinks and cocktails, um, mostly locally brewed and, and made and sourced. And uh, people come here and play board games. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's awesome, because that's really kind of what we were hoping to speak about today, is that there's been a real kind of trend in, uh, particularly with, uh, in, amongst millennial audiences, in people looking for uh, an experience beyond the kind of standard hospitality when it comes to events and venues that they're looking to book. So we're seeing the rise in people who want an experience, not not simply just uh, kind of food or drink. And it's and I think you guys got something really special here, because you... you uh, yeah, you offer people people board games. So, uh, 
maybe explain a little bit just about how the how the cafe works and kind of what people get up to. Yeah, sure. So uh, essentially, people people come here for the board games. That's the main thing. A lot of people here today, and it's uh, only a Wednesday sort of morning. So it's, well, Wednesday afternoon. So it's not incredibly like a wild time, but we've still got a few people here. So I think this just goes to show that there people are seeking out this kind of new, as you said, like event style. Um, something more than just sitting down and having food and drink they want something a bit more and that's what games do and it's a very sociable activity you know so people you know bring their friends or they'll bring their dates and some people have brought their families and their kids and and we get all sorts of crowds here so there's definitely a an interest in this you know harking back to the old school of social interaction rather than video games or phones so that's kind of cool yeah, I mean do you think people are looking for kind of more traditional ways to socialise, kind of get away from the tech side of things? Well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but the fact is we started off um, about three and a half years ago now, and uh, we haven't really sort of hit, we haven't hit our peak yet, I'd say, you know, we're still growing, we're still getting more busy every every sort of year, it feels like, and uh, in fact, we'll be opening a second venue in London very soon. Um, so obviously, you know, keep an eye out for that. Um, but I would say, just based on the fact, as you said, the board game industry is growing. It's growing quite large now, um, and because of that, more people are finding out about board games. You know, there's more money to be made within the industry, and I think board game cafes are like a side business to the board games cafe because we couldn't exist without new games. I guess we could, but I feel like we would have a tougher time being relevant in a industry which wasn't producing new titles. I mean, if nothing had been released since like chess and backgammon, I think we'd have a hard time bringing some of these younger crowd in. Um, but as it goes, you know, we get new games in every every couple of weeks and, uh, and people seek them out sometimes. And yeah, I think there is almost this pushback against digital, uh, digital interaction, you know, social media, for example, in the news very recently, um, people sort of like fighting back against sort of how much it takes over your life. Um, and board games, you know, it's a really innocent, uh, can be quite competitive as well, but it's a really innocent sort of activity. So that's why we'll get a lot of different crowds in here. I think it shows that, you know, people are attracted to more, you know, innocent sort of like interactive uh, activities. I guess board, board games is a kind of way of social interaction are I guess very unique in that sense. I think. Do you think? Uh, I guess do you have a lot of people seeking out new ways to kind of interact with their friends beyond just going down the pub. I think board game cafes. Obviously, we're not the only board game cafe to exist. There are plenty of them around the UK and around the globe, in fact. Um, and I think that just shows that there is a demand for more spaces where uh, people can just sit down and, like you said, find something else to do rather than just sit and talk over you know a pint or a or a meal you can actually like have a little bit of a like a fun experience doing it and without you know breaking the bank too much i would say i think one of the things we notice when people are booking events with us at higher space often we hear people are considering ways that they can kind of have party icebreakers or get their event like get guests talking more and kind of creating that kind of bubbly atmosphere and I keep thinking that perhaps board games are a great answer to that as a kind of catalyst for uh, exciting social interaction or even as a even as a networking tool to get to get people talking yeah I'd agree um, I'd, I'd actually say you know there are games specifically aimed to 
um, to do those kind of things. Like you have party games, uh, they tend to be games for like larger groups of people. Um, they usually involve like splitting into teams or something, and they're always quite creative as well. We're basically um, making these learning more about each other experiences more fun, um, which is yeah, which is another sign of a you know a good industry, a good a good activity. It's just there are all these little side bits to it, and they all try and achieve different things. And I'd say bringing groups of people together, um, especially ones that are really easy to learn as well. You can get like ten people playing a game called The Resistance, and you can learn it in five minutes, and you'll play it for like hours. Um, it's really fun. You learn a lot about each other. There's kind of a bluffing element. You might find out somebody's a surprisingly good liar, for example, um, which is always a, a, a worrying, I guess, touchy subject. But it's, it's a fun. It's a fun game. And I think generally people come out of drafts having had a really good experience um, from playing these awesome games. And it, and, it, and it sticks with them. And that's why we see people coming back as well. Of course, yeah. As, at, uh, at our live show, which is um, at Event Lab last year, we were running lots of side activities as a way to facilitate kind of people communicating at our network events we'd host a networking session that brought people together but also gave them activity to do whether it was uh, baking or I think sushi making or even Lego and I think I think board games are an incredible way to create give people a kind of a different way of kind of making those interesting relationships yeah but yeah I mean thank you thank you so much for, for talking to us today it's a pleasure um, where can people find you on social media if so if we need to get in touch we're on Facebook we're on Instagram we're on Twitter under the tag Drafts London so D-R-A-U-G-H-T-S London and obviously our website as well has all the details and you can find all our social media stuff, events, um, menu, that kind of stuff on draftslondon.com. Um, so yeah, check us out. Brilliant. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks again to Drafts for having me along to their venue, which was a, a lovely place to visit. Uh, since that interview, Drafts has now opened up their second space, which is located near Waterloo. A quick reminder, you can pre-register for tickets to our flagship event at the Barbican in October over at eventlab.online. But hurry, as they're going fast. If you have any questions or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram for behind-the-scenes view, as well as all the latest updates, by following the handle eventlab underscore HQ. Thanks for listening.